We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. a Thursday edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast, May 18th. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. Uh, Alex, we had a bit of a surprise last night in the Celtics Heat game. You and I discussed it at length, literally. We, we had an hour-long show on NBA radio last night leading up to game one between the Celtics and the Heat. And, you know, what did the line close at? Was it eight and a half or nine when we were doing the show? I think it was eight and a half, yeah. Yeah, which was you know, firmly in the the kind of stay away zone. I was I was on Boston to win. I was looking into you know first quarter, first half lines. Did not want to touch Miami or did not want to touch Boston. Excuse me, minus eight and a half, and that turned out to be to be correct. But in, in no world did I expect Miami to storm back the way that it did in that third quarter, hold off the Celtics throughout the fourth, and end up winning this game one twenty three to one sixteen. The over under I believe closed at two eleven. Two eleven. Um... Miami in the playoffs is both nine and three against the spread and nine and three to the over. Um, they've been scoring <laughs> for the, I mean, for the they slowest continue... pace team in the league. Yeah, right. Um, they continue. I mean, I, for them, I think it's just launching up a bunch of threes and trying to steal points in transition. Mm-hmm. You know, now that they're, um, you know, without Tyler Hero, I think they kind of changed their game plan with that. You know, I mean, like, you know, early in the game, it was like, oh, Rob Williams is getting some really easy buckets. Um, you know, I Tatum didn't necessarily have to do much. Boston jumped out to a lead, but then, yeah, you mentioned it. That third quarter by Miami was insane. I thought they were they were pushing a lot in transition. Mm-hmm. Um, Bam kind of got back into the game after what I felt was a quiet second quarter, and I felt like that really changed things for them. Well, I mean, Miami played this one really closely in the first quarter. It was thirty twenty eight Boston, just back and forth. You know, neither team ever really led by more than a possession. And then Boston goes on that run to end the second. And you really felt like, okay, you know, Miami has to answer this coming out of halftime or th- this could get, this could get pretty ugly because, you know, like we, we talked about Malcolm Brogdon being an impact player. He was really, really aggressive for Boston. I, I thought he was their best player at times 
and then was really the key to, to some of that run. And Derek White started getting involved. He ended up playing 21 minutes off the bench, but Boston could not have come out flatter in the third quarter. And even though they ended up winning the fourth quarter, 25, 20, I, I, I couldn't believe how tight the Celtics got, uh, you know, the lack yeah. of adjustments yet again, the lack of timeouts from Joe Missoula. And yeah, you, you can say Miami got a little lucky. They go 16 of 31 from three and almost all those makes it felt like came uh, you know, in, in the second and third quarter, especially that third quarter where they put up 46 points. But at the same time, I, I don't remember, you know, maybe other than the Jimmy Butler, you know, off the rim and in to basically seal the game. Like most of those were wide open threes, you know, that were coming on to kick out to the corner to Max Struess or, uh, you know, swing the ball around and Gabe Vincent's wide open. Like, yeah, they made a lot of threes, but I, I thought for the most part, they were all really good looks. They they got good looks. You're right. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't watching this game and like they were hitting a bunch of contested jumpers or threes, I should say. And like I'm like rolling my eyes. Like you got to be kidding me. It was like no. It's like these are shots these guys got to make. Um, you know, Vincent Struess, Caleb Martin. Like they they're all shooting. Lowry. I will say Lowry got extremely hot uh, in the second quarter. Um, but I thought you mentioned it, Boston. To me, the key for their second quarter and what they figured out, I think they realized. We just got to go to the rim. Like, we can't just stand out here and shoot threes, which is funny. Ironically, against the Miami team, you would think, well, if we can outshoot them from three, we're going to yeah. win this game. But I thought once Jalen Brown and Tatum got really aggressive driving to the basket, I mean, there were a ton of possessions in this game where Tatum driving to the basket looked like no one could stay in front of him. And then Miami didn't bring enough help defense. And Boston ends up with, I think, 62 points in the paint uh, compared to Miami's 40. Yeah, I was trying to look that up as we speak. So that, that's a good stat. I mean, that checks out for sure. Like when Boston went on that run at the end of the second quarter, it was Tatum was just getting by everybody. I mean, the, the ability to finish with the left hand for Tatum at, at crazy angles is just unreal. Brogdon was getting to the rim and they, they were drawing fouls. Like it, it really felt like Boston was humming at all cylinders. And whatever happened at halftime or what didn't happen at halftime completely changed this game. Uh, yet again, a really weird overall game for Jason Tatum, who – if you just look at the raw numbers, you know, 30 points, seven rebounds, 11 of 11 at the line, looks like a pretty good game. But you know, if you were watching last night, I thought Sam Van Gundy, uh, who was on the color call, did a really good job of like, you know, in a, in a very SVG way, like every single possession, he's like, well, Jason Tatum didn't touch the ball again. Jason Tatum didn't <laughs> touch the ball again. And it, it was like eight or nine possessions in a row. And it, it, I don't know, it didn't, it didn't feel to me like, you know, Marcus Smart was just like going crazy because the Celtics were, were getting decent looks, but it was kind of wild how long they went without Jason Tatum being an impact player that a timeout is called. And after that, Jason Tatum gets the ball in three straight possessions, three straight turnovers, including two back-to-back travels. Right. I thought, um, yeah, the Celtics, they, I mean, they collapsed late in the fourth, right? With all those turnovers, the travels, mm-hmm. the bad passes, Jimmy Butler sensed a lot of those passes, jumped into oh, the lane. Goodness. He was a I mean, he was amazing on both ends of the floor. Butler's on. Yeah. He was absolutely in the zone in this game. Um, but you mentioned it with Tatum, like 30 points on, on 17 shots from the field. But I felt like had they given him more opportunities, he probably could have scored 45. Um, oh, yeah. Right. It's just I they were spreading the ball around a little bit more, maybe more than they should have. But, um, yeah. Yeah, the Tatum thing at the end of the game was weird. I, I mean – I don't know. We, we saw LeBron and, and Steph Curry, you know, have some, make some questionable decisions at the end of some right. games in the last round. So it's like, it's, it's not like this is a you know referendum on Jason Tatum. I, I think if anything, it was more like, okay, this guy hasn't touched the ball in 10 minutes. And now we're saying, all right, go win us the game. And he, he just looked, he just looked out of sorts. He looked cold. He didn't look ready. I mean, that second travel, you, you almost never see that in the NBA. Like he clearly left his feet for a jumper and then tried to kind of pass it off as no, it was a pump fake. 
and I actually I thought he was going to get teed up for a second because he did the the Bobby Portis, you know, kind of took the ball and sprinted back the other way, which oftentimes <laughs> maybe not in the playoffs, but oftentimes that'll get called for a tee for you know the, the classic showing up the ref. It will. You usually don't see um like you usually don't see star players do that. That sort of like pump fake. I accidentally jump and then try to dribble it. I feel like that happens to a lot of like (laughs) role players who like try to Kelly Oubre move. It's a, yes, more of a Kelly Oubre, like Corey Kispert kind of a, kind of a vibe. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, yeah. Bad turnovers by Tatum late. I, um, I, I still think the Celtics, I don't think they play badly. Like no 15 turnovers. Yeah. It's a little too much. They, but they shot fine from three. I just, to me watching this game, there were, there were plenty of points where I felt like they were playing completely evenly. Boston goes on its run. Miami goes on its run. I felt like this was a really, really even game kind of down to the wire. Yeah, I felt the same way. I mean, obviously, you know, Boston made its run. It almost felt like at the wrong time. You know, it's like they peaked too early in this game, whereas Miami played its best basketball at the end of the third quarter and then into the fourth. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the Tatum turnovers were bad, not only because obviously Boston didn't get, get shots on those possessions, but, you know, back to back, they turned into three-pointers for the Heat. You know, Tatum turned over on a bad pass. Uh, right. You know, that turns into a Caleb Martin three and then another turnover from Tatum and Jimmy Butler hits a corner three shortly after that. So it was, it was just kind of a double whammy there. Uh, and at that point, I mean, but after the second Tatum travel, I think there was like a minute left in the game. So it was basically over and, you know, Boston you know, kind of kept it relatively close with free throws and fouling and whatnot. But uh, you could sense when the, when the momentum shifted in the building and like Celtics fans, I feel like are number one on the list where like, when things turn, you, you just hear that like audible grumble in the background. You hear the grumble. And then, you know, when they go on the runs, the crowd goes absolutely nuts. So yes, they have like one of the most um, sort of vocal crowds in the NBA, which is good because it helps you kind of sense what's happening in the building. Um, you know, the atmosphere of the game, which it's really hard to get sometimes from some other crowds uh, when you're, when you're watching a television, but yeah, I just, I don't like game one, Denver, LA. I felt like Denver controlled that game. Mm-hmm. LA kind of made some things happen late, but I just, I was like, that was Denver's game. Watching this game, I didn't feel like anybody really controlled this game for the vast majority of it. Not really, no. I mean, obviously, like I said, Boston made that run at the end of the second quarter, but it, it wasn't put away at that point by any means. You know, it's not like they were up 20. Uh, I think they led, at, they led by nine at the half. So, you know, I, I think you felt comfortable if you're Boston, but, you know, Miami comes out and, you know, within like three minutes, it was basically a tie game in the third quarter. And it was kind of on from there. Uh, I'm not super surprised that the books continue to, to show a lot of loyalty to the Celtics who are now <laughs> nine point favorites at home for game two. Nine point. They're more, they're more favored after losing game <laughs> one. Uh, interesting. Yeah, and, then, will... well, and then conversely, Denver is less favored after winning game one at home. Right. Well, I, to me, some of this is like adjustments. Because I, I I actually felt like the Miami Boston game was a very straight up game, in terms of I don't I didn't feel like I was watching some like either team pulling out some sort of like scheme like of course Miami goes to their zone and they try stuff like that once in a while, but I felt like it, they just played pretty straight up and if you're assuming yeah. these two teams play straight up, you know I mean if, just the books are not going to assume Boston's going down 0-2. that'd be I mean that'd be crazy. No. Um, but in the in the in the LA Denver game, it's more so like, oh, there was a clear adjustment with, well, they're going to move AD off of Jokic yep. probably, and, and then that's going to shuffle things around. So I think it's more about like what the books kind of expect both teams to do. 
I mean, I, I'm with the books here. I, I wouldn't pick against Boston at home in game two, but I, I don't know. At the same time, it's like how many how many times in these playoffs can they continue to test their luck in these scenarios, right? And, I mean, Miami's now 3-0 and in game ones, uh, you know, all those being as the the, the lower-seeded team. So we, I, I think internally Miami's probably not shocked that they won this game, but every single time now we've seen Boston rebound uh, you know, when they've been in this position. You know, multiple times they were down in that Sixers series and, and found a way to pull it out. So – I mean, I, I guess history and, and talent suggests that that's what's going to happen here with Boston. But uh, I don't know. At, at the same time, like you said, you know, maybe maybe there's some shooting regression for Miami. But I, I don't feel like anything they did last night was just like completely unsustainable. I don't think so either. I think they actually could have went to Bam Moore, who was having a great game. And I thought he even missed a couple bunnies that he, mm-hmm. he could have made. Butler was hot, but he wasn't like he, he wasn't unbelievably hot. Um you know, I mean, again, Lowry goes on his kind of personal run, really <laughs> ratches it up at the end of the first quarter and start of the second. But that's kind of what he's out there to do. I mean, he only plays 25 yeah. minutes a game these days. Like, he comes out there and he just fires. So, um, like, if you're Miami, I think your main your main thought for game two just has to be, well, we have to just stop these guys from getting in the paint now because they scored 60 points in the paint. And maybe that is what you want Boston to do because they love to shoot the three. But mm-hmm. at the same time, we just can't let that happen again. Um, but I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure what that adjustment will be. I thought Marcus Smart played really well. I think he was, he was the Celtics best player at, at times in this game, uh, 11 assists from him, uh, you know, a few of those uh, kind of, you know, flashy passes by Marcus Smart standards. Uh, he was really steady. Uh, you didn't, didn't see much from Al Horford. We talked on the NBA show last night. Uh, we were discussing his points prop, which I think was seven and a half. He of course finished right at seven. Uh, he's just, he's like a three point shooter at this point. Like he just doesn't really do anything else. You know, if you're betting Al Horford points props and the number is seven and a half, you basically need him to hit three, three pointers. And that did not happen last night. He took three, two pointers, which, um, I remember watching this game of like, wow, Horford's, you know, he's inside the arc a little bit. Uh, yeah. but still like most of his shots came from three, um, three steals from him as well. I mean, I thought, I thought he was good defensively. Yeah. The big lineup seemed to work with him and with him and Rob Williams, Rob Williams plays 26 minutes. Again, he had a monster first quarter. And I felt like it was a little more muted the, the rest of the game. But, you know, Brogdon continues to play. They tried a little bit of Pritchard, 12 minutes for Pritchard. Yeah. They gave him some def- defensive possessions on Jimmy Butler. Didn't Did not quite work, uh, but it it happened. So, um, you know, I think for game two, I, I don't know what the big adjustment is for Boston. Honestly, I think there's just a chance they, if, if they don't cough up, you know, so much down the stretch. Yeah. I, I mean, to, that, that's what lost them the game. I think it's just Jason Tatum touched the ball in the fourth quarter and we'll, we'll take our chances there. I, I don't know that we see Pritchard again. Uh, you know, good, good to see him out there. I think he played, he played double digit minutes. I would imagine a lot of those are redistributed to Derek white, who actually looked pretty good. I thought after uh, you know, kind of, kind of falling off the map a little bit against Philly, but uh, you know, I, I would imagine you know, maybe we see a little bit of Pritchard, but he didn't really feel like he made much of an impact. Uh, let, let's talk Lakers nuggets and then we'll do lottery and then we'll get out of here. The NBA regular season has come and gone, which means it's time for a new way to play daily fantasy basketball for the playoffs. Rival Fantasy is the fantasy platform reinventing the way daily and weekly games are played, and they brought three new games to the ballpark this year that fantasy players won't find anywhere else. With unique games like Fantasy Bingo, head-to-head player challenges, and over-unders in Fantasy Book, Daily Fantasy has never been better. Right now, Rotowire listeners can get a $50 protected first play That means if you win your first play, you keep your winnings. But if you lose your first entry, Rival Fantasy will fully refund you up to 50 bucks. Go to play.rivalfantasy.com slash sign up 
Again, that's play.rivalfantasy.com slash sign up and use our code RotoWireNBA, all one word, RotoWireNBA. Use that at sign up and deposit a minimum of $25 to get your first entry on Rival protected up to $50. Now's the time to step onto the court and become a Rival today. Welcome to the arena. So I'm going to Vegas this weekend for one of my closest friends' weddings. My like my entire mood for this trip is hinging on what happens tonight. <laughs> I've, I've let everybody know. Like I, I'm not going to enjoy this if the, if the Lakers like because you know game three is going to be happening on Saturday night, right after this wedding. Like I'm going to need to get to a TV and right. look. If, if the Lakers are down 0-2, it's going to be a dicey weekend for me. Well, your your mood is going to change based on what happens. But what do you think is going to happen? I don't know. Well, we, I haven't been in this position. Like the Lakers have not been down in the series yet. I have not like, been in this position. Me personally. Yeah, right. I mean, me as a winner, I have not been, I've not been, <laughs> you know, in it, like it hasn't really felt like they've had a true must win game yet. You know, they've been tied in some series where it's like, okay, if you lose this, then you're down three, two, whatever. But they, you know, I mean, obviously you don't want to go down Oh two. Um, but at the same time, we also saw Denver dominate the Suns in the first two games. And then all of a sudden that was two, two. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to talk myself through this. Right. I do think Denver wins again. I really do. I, I think it'll be a similarly close game, but it, you know, probably not to the point where the Lakers feel like they're constantly battling back from a 20 point deficit the whole night. Uh, I just, I, I don't really buy that, you know, the Lakers figured something out or like solved the nuggets by putting Rui Hachimura on Jokic. Like I, I'm, that's hard for me to believe, you know, even, even Michael Malone after the game was asked about it and he's just like, yeah, we're, we're going to be prepared for Rui Hachimura guarding the MVP. Uh, I don't know. He, you know, Michael Malone is weirdly, I, I saw somebody like aggregated, a bunch of quotes that he had had, like basically dragging D'Angelo Russell through the mud multiple times. Like mm. I, I think Denver feels really good about the way that they could scheme for the Lakers. I, I think way too much is being made of this, like, you know, d- defensive epiphany that the Lakers supposedly had in the second half. Well, I think that, I think regardless, I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to try it for a large portion of this game um, because it's one of the two, like we, I mentioned you on the XM show. I, to me, I don't think you can stop Jokic. It's just, do we play Jokic to make him a passer or do we play him to make him a scorer? And you're, you're basically playing him to make him a, a scorer. If you put Hachimura on him, because you're trying to bait him into backing down, et cetera. My guess um, is that, you know, they're going to put Hachimura on him and then they'll put AD on Aaron Gordon because they don't care if Aaron Aaron Gordon shoots threes. They'll have AD protect the paint. And then I, my guess is they'll switch everything else they'll switch every off ball action so that nobody gets these open threes. Um, but then, you know, there's, there might be some scenarios where Jamal Murray goes a little ISO against someone who's not for like, it's just, I think, I think Denver does have some guys who can, who can play uh, off the dribble a bit like Bruce Brown. Yeah. You can't just like hide somebody on Bruce Brown. You can't like hide a guy right. on Jamal Murray. Even Jeff green will get out there and do some stuff. He's just, he's, you know, I just, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work, but I think they're going to try it. I, I think you're totally right about the strategy. I think, I think they kind of, they kind of Trojan horsed them a little bit in game one. And that's part of the reason it worked. It's like, it's, it's just really tough to adjust to that over the course of like one timeout, you know, like where, uh, you know, now that the Nuggets have 48 hours and they have plenty of tape and they're just going to be more prepared. Like I, you're not going to catch them off guard with the same strategy that you used at the end of game one. So I, you know, I, and maybe the Lakers have a counter. They, they probably know that the, the Nuggets know what they're going to do. So we'll see, but I, I think the Lakers one have fewer counters than the Nuggets do for the reasons you just laid out. They have more versatile guys, and I, I you know, Jokic is so tough, and you know, like the Lakers are kind of backed into a corner here. Like, there's no, there's no like perfect way to defend him. I think if you use AD as kind of the the help guy to just come in and contest every shot, which on paper I think works really well, 
one, you know, you're asking a lot of the off ball guys, you know, if you're switching everything, you're switching cuts, you're switching yeah. guys fading to the corner. Like that's just, that's a lot of things that can go wrong over the course of like 105 possessions in an NBA game for a team that like notoriously falls asleep on defense all the time. And then the other thing, when you have Davis doing that is you open yourself up to offensive rebounding. And that, that is I, to me, the number one thing that killed the Lakers in game one, uh, I actually, I'm kind of surprised to look, th- look this up. I, I had a sneaking suspicion that this might've been the case, but I, I would not have imagined the gap was this big. In the last series against the Warriors, the Lakers were minus 30 on the offensive glass for the wow. series. That's a crazy stat. Yeah, I mean, they're for for having AD down there, um, he's not – it's just he's they, – they don't crash very well as a team. Let's put it that way. You know, LeBron's not flying in there the way he used to for some of those defensive rebounds. No. They D-Lo don't box out. Running in. They don't exactly. They don't box out. They don't crash that hard. So well, that, that's the um, thing. Is like if you're if you're playing AD LeBron, and, I mean at times they were doing AD, AD LeBron Reeves Russell Schroeder. Yeah, I mean yeah. like who's like you have three guys who are you know six five and under. Like you you just can't expect you're going to ask D'Angelo Russell to box out Aaron Gordon. I mean that's just not that's just not going to work. It's not sustainable. And like even Rui, as we talked about on the on the XM show last night, it's like yeah, in theory he has size. In theory he's a four. He had zero rebounds last game. Right. And the thing about Denver is pretty much everybody on this roster who plays either has good size or is a really good athlete. Like Bruce Brown is small for his position, but he's, he's a hustle guy. He's a, a fantastic athlete. He had that like basically a poster dunk middle of the lane that game. That was, yeah. that was amazing. Um, I mean, my guess, you know, if, if they're hiding AD on Aaron Gorgon to basically keep AD in the lane, my guess is, Denver might try some dribble handoffs with Aaron Gordon. They give the ball to Aaron Gordon while AD is sagging off of him, and they just hand off the ball to guys coming around, like like the Warriors do with Draymond. It's like, well, okay, if teams sag off of Draymond, they just do the handoffs, and you know Curry gets the threes. And that's what we saw Jokic do in game one uh, when AD was on him. I think they'll just do the same thing with Aaron Gordon because Jokic can space from three. So um, that's that's kind of what I think they'll end up trying. Yeah, I mean, this is all to say that the Nuggets are the number one seed and Jokic is a two-time MVP for a reason. I mean, it's they're, they're just a really difficult team to defend. And even someone like Anthony Davis, who feels like physically should be the best matchup for Jokic, I mean, he completely cooked him, completely cooked him. Yes. And yeah, I, didn't, I didn't even feel like Davis played badly. It was just like, what? It's like who else could do any better? Nobody. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, I I'm saying this with complete sincerity. I, I would not be opposed to like just soft launching some Tristan Thompson minutes. Whoa. Why not? Why Wait, not? Hold on. 
He'll rebound. Is it, let me ask you something. Is that because Mobamba's hurt? Would you prefer to soft launch Mobamba minutes? Mm. Uh, honestly, I I don't I don't know that Mobamba has proven to be enough of an upgrade offensively that it really matters. Uh, like you know, if Mobamba was like a thirty eight percent three point shooter, I'd be like, yeah, I'd rather have him. But I don't know. Tristan Thompson's probably got forty pounds on Mobamba. When's the last time Tristan Thompson played five minutes in a game? I think he actually played like a decent amount in one of the Warriors games, like one of the blowouts. Either, either the one that they won or the one that they lost big. He played like eleven minutes. I want to say. Oh, 12 minutes. Look at that. Yeah. Dude, he's only he's only thirty two. That's he just turned thirty two like two months ago. He caught a that uh, the athletic did that player survey about like the most overrated players in the NBA. Um, like but only you know thirty something players participated in the survey, but Tristan Thompson got a vote from one of the players, which I thought was absolutely mm. hilarious. Um, I mean, not wrong, not wrong. Um, no, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if they did it. I mean, the thing is. If you're just talking guys off the bench, they only use three guys, Hachimura, Vanderbilt, and Lonnie Walker. And if you're telling me, like, yeah, so Hachimura plays 28 minutes and Vanderbilt plays 10, you can't take three minutes away from from both of those guys just to experiment with Thompson for half a quarter. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, listen, I mean, he's going to be <laughs> he's going to be the freshest guy out there. Um, I just think you're he's like a he's like a left tackle. You know, it's like he will rebound. He's not super athletic anymore. Yes. Not that he ever really was. But like he he's not going to fall asleep. Like he's going to be out there. Like all, all you're asking him is like, dude, just hey, you know, maybe try to stay in front of Jokic a little bit. AD will be coming over. But once the shot goes up, like you got to get the rebound. I don't know. Like I, I'm I'm spitballing here. Like, But the Lakers, again, there's this reputation as like, oh, they're this big team, this big throwback team. It's like outside of Anthony Davis, that's just frankly not true at all. Yeah, I mean, they. Well, I mean, to me, the Lakers, what they did at the deadline was about getting optionality. They have a lot of different looks they can throw out there, but they have not really thrown out that hyper big look. You know what I mean? Like, that you're like talking who does about that even Thompson include? Or, Thompson or Bamba plus Hachimura plus AD plus LeBron. Is, is, that, that, like, is that LeBron at the one then? That's pretty much. Yeah. And I mean, then which, look, like a, he, he played point guard. What was that two years ago? He led the league in assists. Like, I, yeah. I do think that that's out there. And we saw it in game six against the Warriors. Like LeBron finally was like, all right, I'm bringing the ball up. Uh, you know, which he just was really hesitant to do up until that game. And we saw a little bit in the fourth quarter against Denver, but I, I would like to see that from start to finish. Like we don't need, I, I don't know that we need the like D'Angelo Russell. Like let's, let's just let him take 15 shots in the first half and see if he has it tonight or not. And then we'll, that'll dictate whether we play him in the second half. <laughs> right. Yeah. They not getting consistent minutes on a is a problem. Although it's kind of why they have Schroeder. Um, because you figure, well, one of these guys is gonna have a good night, hopefully. And if not, then we'll just uh, we'll act like Reeves is the third best player on the team, which he he might be. Uh, I think he is. I think he totally is at this point. It's like if you if you offered, you know, let's say him and Russell are, are both free agents, which I think they are right. technically yeah. this off season. It's like you know, if every team could offer a contract, like who would who would get more? I think it'd be Reeves. Yeah, I mean, he's he's I mean, Reeves, obviously a two way player. He and more importantly, like he's shown ability to play on and off the ball. Like D'Lo's off ball is just not he doesn't do anything off ball. Reeves will cut. He'll run in transition, all that mm-hmm. stuff. So, yeah, I think you're right. All right, let's talk lottery. Uh, that happened on Tuesday. Uh, obviously, if you're listening to this pod, you're well aware of, of what went down. I, I was a little upset that we didn't get more chaos. You know, I'm sure you saw the tweet that like the Wizards were like, you know, one number away from getting the number one pick and they, they had like the odds in their favor for it to happen. And of course it didn't. Uh, but either way, I, I think the, the most fun uh, situation that, that we have is that the, the Blazers move up 
uh, from the fifth projected pick up to three. Still a big deal. I mean, you, you still uh, you know have a, the option to, to take someone like Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson or, of course, trade the pick, which is come into focus now, and we'll get into that in a bit. But, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really have a lot of takes about, like, Wemben Yama to San Antonio. Uh, you no. know, I think we thought, we've kind of thought about this for a full year now. We know about the connections uh, with Tony Parker and Boris Diaw and all that. So, it, uh, you know, makes a lot of sense. Uh, happy for the Spurs. Completely changes everything for them. I, I want to talk about the Detroit Pistons, man. This is, this is tough. This is pretty tough because I, they knew what they were getting themselves into, but they, they were the team with the actual worst record last year. And not only are they not getting the number one pick, but they're picking fifth. And look, I, I don't know, like, I, you know, sometimes it's like an X player draft. Like, I don't know, you, you, you'll still get somebody good at five, but man, uh, I mean, that, that they had a chance to go from, you know, a decade and a half of irrelevance to like a premier franchise if you have Wemanyama. And I, it just, it kind of feels like they're, they're in some ways like back to square one. Yeah, I mean, Cade... Cade just hasn't been healthy enough. Like Cade has even played 80. He hasn't even played 82 games in his career. Like we've still only seen 76 games of Cade Cunningham. Um, they're taking ridiculous flyers on like Bagley and Wiseman. Um, uh, you know, Jaden Ivy, I thought, I thought looked good, but uh, I, it's tough. I mean, the team is so bad. I don't even know how to evaluate some guys sometimes. Like I don't even know how yeah. to evaluate Jaden Ivy season based on how terrible the team was around him. And, um, again, like, yeah, killing has nice moments, but it's like, he's clearly a backup Duran looks like a keeper, but is he like, I don't know. I, he, yeah. which is mostly just a rebounder. Yeah. I mean, I, I think now at five, it's like, all right, you, you can add another piece to that core, but it just feels like, you know, the, the fifth pick versus even like the third pick feels like so much more of a 50, 50. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, although historically, I, I feel like I, we'd have to go through and, and do the evaluation, but it's probably about the same in terms of like the actual hit rate uh, on some of those picks. But uh, yeah, I mean, Detroit comes out as a major loser after that, everything went in order, uh, you know, six through 14. We didn't really have any surprises there, but I, I mean, Portland is clearly the, the team here that, that ends up benefiting it. It, you know, kind of reminded me of when the Lakers jumped up, uh, you know, I think did they get the fourth pick that year and then they ended up trading it as part of the AD deal. And, you know, allegedly that's like what sealed the deal. It's like, you know, the Pelicans might not have been that interested if it was the 10th pick, but because it was four, uh, you know, that, that sweetened the pot. And I mean, now Portland holding this third pick, I, I think they, they're in a similar situation where they obviously they can trade the pick and, you know, try to bring in somebody to, to help Damian Lillard. Or to me, the smarter move would be this, this gives you the excuse to, to move on from Damian Lillard. And all of a sudden now, you know, you have your choice of Brandon Miller, or Scoot Henderson, potentially one of those two guys, I guess you don't have your choice, but you're getting one of them uh, to add to Anthony Simons, to add to Shaded Sharp, who very quietly looked awesome at the end of the year. I just, I, I guess it, I guess it depends. You got to put the pick up for sale first and just see what the bids are. I just, I, I, are you getting anybody who ultimately moves the needle? Like I, on the XM show today, Mark, Mike Barner was like, yeah, maybe you could get Zach Levine. I'm like Zach Levine. I don't, I mean, that's just, I, I guess a slightly better version of what they've been doing with the column and Simons. Scoot, uh, Levine for the third pick. Uh, that's he just threw it out there. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like a you know they should do this, but no. Yeah, I, I mean, like I mean, what caliber of player are we talking? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I it dep- I mean, it depends how good you think Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller is. The thing I I think Brandon Miller makes m- way more sense with their team, right? Like if they wanted to keep Dame, and because they are they have too yeah. many guards, they have way too many small guards, and Scoot hyper athlete he's six foot two like he's a point guard yeah like 
like like Dame is a point guard. So um, maybe they're less likely to trade it if they get Brandon Miller. But yeah, I mean, if you're trying to trade the number three pick, what kind of guy can you get? I don't know. To me, if if I was the Bulls and they offered me three for Levine, I'd be like, please take Levine off my hands. I will gladly <laughs> take Scoot Henderson and get a point yeah. guard in here. That would be amazing for them. So I think it has to be a guy better than Levine. I really hope that the Blazers would not be dumb enough to do that. I, I mean, it's got to be. I, I think if that's if that's like the best type of player you could get, then you keep the pick and you figure it out from there. You could you could trade Dame later if you need to, or you could make the pick and, and trade it later. We've seen that happen too. I you know I, a couple names. I mean, obviously the Raptors are always that team where they're like they're they're kind of perfectly positioned as not that good yet they have some good players. So like if you could pry, I don't know, like the Siakam is that enough of a difference maker? Maybe oh you know OG Ananobi. Uh, you know, and you probably have to attach something to the pick too. So, you know, maybe you attach like the Nurkic contract or yeah. I don't know, maybe even Simon's who knows? Like, I, I think anything's on the table here. So, you know, if, if the plan is to keep Lillard, you got to be bringing in somebody who really makes you feel good about your chances. You know, I wonder, it's like, I, I don't, I don't know if this would be smart, but I feel like Damian Lillard would want to play with Paul George. It's like, could you trade number three for Paul George? Does that, you know, you that trade? kind of, that, that, that helps the Clippers, you know, recoup some draft capital. Yeah, I think, that's or even Kawhi. I don't know. I mean, I, I, Kawhi might just retire rather than play in Portland, but I don't know. And, I mean, I, again, I, it's, I, I think that that offer is like semi-reasonable. Yeah. It almost feels like PG is too old, but he's on the same timetable as Lillard. So, you know, I mean, his health would be a concern for me if I, I don't know, man. I, if it was Toronto, like I would want Siakam and Anganobi. Like I would not be, I would need both of those guys. Yeah. Like I would need them to basically give me their team. Um, I think in that case, like, you're probably sending Simons back then. Yeah, I mean, I wonder, do you think there'd be like an Ingram or like Zion? Yes, that situation? was the other team that I have highlighted here is, yeah, I think Zion would be the ultimate swing. And like that, oh man, that would be such a tough call for the Pelicans. Like, let's say they say, all right, we'll give you, we'll give you number three, the Nurkic expiring, and I don't know, some random role player for for Zion. It's like, what, do you, would you do that if you're New Orleans? I think you have to think about it. I mean, you in the in the classic Bill Simmons terms, you have to have you have to take a meeting uh, yeah. if you potentially get the Scoot Henderson thing. I because he, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not like hyper convinced Scoot Henderson is like gonna be a superstar, but he looks very very good, and you can kind of get off that max contract. And yep. it, I don't know, it's it's really difficult because if if Zion manages to stay healthy, it's it's just you're going to feel awful seeing him play for another team. I think the Webinyama thing has has kind of clouded our judgment of this draft. Like Miller and Henderson are guys who would go number one in a lot of drafts. Like they, I think teams are going to want these guys, you know, no matter how they turn out. Chances are all three of these guys are not going to be Hall of Famers, but you know, at the time of the draft, everybody thinks everybody's going to be a Hall of Famer. So I, <laughs> I don't, I don't think they'll have trouble drumming up interest. But yeah, I, I mean that that New Orleans offer is really interesting. I, I think Minnesota. You know, it's like, do you float a cat offer out there? I, I, I kind of like that right. for both sides. Not actually not that much for Portland, but I, I think you're actually getting like a pretty good return talent wise. I just don't really trust cat. I would love that for Minnesota. Uh, you know, that's another team that, that is motivated to get some draft capital. I'm trying to think, I mean, like, I don't know, D- Detroit. It's like, do you, <laughs> could you get Kate Cunningham if, if they're concerned about his medicals? Uh, the, the other two scenarios that I, I, I thought were sign and trades uh, where it's like, could you sign and trade like James Harden? Go pair him up with Lillard. I, again, don't really love that, but it's out there. Uh, more, more realistically, a Jalen Brown sign and trade. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Especially well, with the it, Supermax. The Supermax, yeah. Boston doesn't want to do it. I think that's the right type of guy. Yeah. Um, I could see how both teams would be pretty interested in that, and especially because, yeah, I mean, I feel like there's mixed feelings about Marcus Smart. It would kind of allow you to be like, well, we'll stick another point guard in there. Who's exactly. You know, yeah, I think that makes sense. I would, uh, I'm, yeah. Marketing I think business-wise, that actually. would make a ton of sense for Boston. It's like, okay, Business-wise, it does. I mean, it's like Brandon Miller is like a better prospect than Jalen Brown was. I would say Brandon Miller and like Jason Tatum are actually pretty similar prospect-wise. Um, like people forget, like Tatum was not a, a sure thing by any means. I mean, obviously a top three pick, but it was not like this guy's a future, you know, MVP of the league or anything. I, I think that would make a lot of sense. I mean, I, I think part of it depends what happens this year. Like if Boston wins the title it becomes a lot harder to, to break that up. But like, I don't know, like, let's say they lose to Miami in six games right. and Jalen Brown doesn't play that well. I, I think it becomes pretty easy to be like, Hey, all right, you know, look, we're realistically, we, we, we want to be cap conscious. We want to keep our options open and maybe this sets us back a little bit in the short term, but we're bringing in a top three pick and a future superstar on a rookie contract. I don't know. I, I think that'd be appealing. It'd be something to think about, but I agree. A lot of it would depend on what happens in the playoffs here. Because if they win the title, I think they'll just it's it's gravy. You pay the supermax to Brown, and you just you keep it rolling. Any thoughts on Charlotte at number two? It would be uh, taking Scoot at number two to put with Lamelo. I don't know. I don't know if you can do that. But if you really think he's the bigger prospect, I mean that's that's the guy you have to take. I just um. I know. I, w- I think I was listening to the, maybe it was the Bill Simmons pod. He was like concerned about the fit between Bridges and Brandon Miller. Maybe that was more of an off the court fit than on the court fit. Um, I just like, I don't know. I, I think you want a wing. I don't think you want to take the ball out of, out of LaMelo Ball's hands. He's, he's very good. Like I, I'm not a hundred percent convinced he's like a winning player and is going to be some sort of like hall of famer or any of that stuff. I think, I think look, the, the jury on LaMelo is still very much out because it, is it so, unclear that you want to be like well we gotta we should just take scoot henderson anyway and try to play them together if i'm drafting in the top three especially in the current nba i don't care about position i wouldn't i wouldn't worry about it at all i think you could make it work we've i mean we've seen like you know kind of two guard systems work we've seen two ball dominant players play together like i don't know if chris paul and james harden could go to the western conference finals together i i, I think right. I, I think i'm willing to, to chance it with scoot henderson and Lamelo. I, I get it i mean both these guys are so young. I mean, LaMelo's so young too that like, I wouldn't, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't really like worry too much about, you know, sacrificing one player's development over the other. I, I think you just get the talent in the door and you kind of figure it out from there. But I don't know. I mean, it, it, it is tough because you're, you're, you're likely choosing between a six, nine wing and a six, two guard. So like you, you do have two choices here that are very different. And I don't know if, if they, if they truly value them evenly, maybe it makes more sense to, to take Brandon Miller. But if they think Scoot is the better player, but they pass on him because they already have a point guard. I think that's where teams get into trouble. I, I agree. That's where, that's where teams get into trouble. It's just hard for me to imagine like scoot to me. And I'm a little biased. I did. I did like the write up on him for, for the NBA.com project we're doing, but you got to give the keys to your offense to this guy and like, see what you can get. And I, yeah. it's tough to say, well, we are, the keys are already in LaMelo's hands. Right. So it's, re- I mean, the fit, the fit wise, it's just so much easier to put Brandon Miller in there and you're, you're building a balanced team. But again, it's, a, it, it really just is how all well they evaluate. Like if they evaluate these guys as roughly equal, then yeah, you, I think you just take Brandon Miller, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. 
I, I just don't think it, like you could kind of do a redux of like Lamelo Golden State, where there's like, well, we, we have Curry and, and Clay. Uh, like, why would why would we need another guard? And they take James Wiseman. And look, I don't I don't know if that's exactly what the thought process was, but I would imagine you know they they said, hey, our bigger need here is is a big man, and chances are Brandon Miller will be a much much better player than James Wiseman. But I I don't know. I mean, if you're the Warriors, obviously you'd rather have Lamelo Ball and even if he doesn't develop the same way in, in a different system, like you still have that player, the asset that you can always, you know, kind of turn into whatever you want, uh, whether that means keeping him or trading him. So, yeah, I don't know. I, it, it's interesting because it felt like, you know, Scoot was like a lock to go number two, not that long ago. And and that, that debate has completely opened up partially because Brandon Miller had such a crazy season, but I don't know. You also hear you know questions about his competitiveness and just kind of the way, the way that he's come up as a prospect is just so, so non-traditional that I think it makes it harder to evaluate. Right. And I think it's still tough to evaluate guys coming out of the G league. It's tough to evaluate. I mean, farther down the draft board, how do we evaluate guys like the Thompson twins coming out of overtime elite? I, oh, I, goodness. I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea either. I mean, I did, I both, I did both the write-ups on them. I watched the film, all that stuff. And I, I have no idea. I think they could be busts. I think it's completely possible. These guys get in the league and it's like, they don't know. How to, like not that neither of them can shoot. Yeah. First of all, um, and I, and again, like a lot of times I watch these clips and I'm just like, aren't the guys on the other team, like, is this league good at all? Like in the context of, you know, Euro league, college basketball, G league, like where does this league stand? And to me, it's like probably lower than all of them. Oh yeah, absolutely. I was watching a lot of those clips too. And I'm like, I, I felt like I was watching like a live golf event mixed with like a <laughs> AAU tournament. Like it was, it was really weird. I don't know. Like one of the, one of the players <laughs> on, on their team like the back of his jersey, like it, it, like it said, like Nick W, not like his last name. It was his first name and his last initial. Like, what, what is this? Like, what league do you put your first name and your last initial on the back of your jersey? I listen. I'm I'm all for you want to make a flashy league. That's a lot of fun with a lot of bouncy young guys. Go for it. Like that's a lot of fun. But when I'm watching yeah. the when I'm watching like the scouting film, and I'm I'm like confused about what the other team is doing defensively, or like how are you letting these guys leak out, or like this effort is like me at pickup basketball after playing for 55 minutes. Like, uh, it's just, it's, I don't know how you evaluate these guys. I mean, they're, they're supposed to go in like the, the early lottery, but I would be, yeah. I would be so nervous to take them if I was a franchise. So nervous. Dude, they both just seem like perfect Houston Rockets, which is not really <laughs> a compliment. Like one of them's probably going to the Rockets and we'll, we'll see how that ends up. But yeah, I don't know. Like if a team like Orlando were to, were to take a guy like that, it's like, okay, you know, you already have a core. It's like, if you whiff on this pick, you know, it's not the end of the world, but you know, it's like if like Charlotte were to take one or, or I mean, even Houston, depending on what happens with them or Detroit, it's like these teams that really need to stockpile assets and you whiff on that. I mean, that's, that's really brutal. So I'm, I'm actually surprised that there hasn't been a little more pushback and maybe there will be right. as we get closer to the draft, but we're only like a month out at this point. It's like, I feel like nobody's asking like, Hey, do we, do we know if this league is legit or not? I don't know. But I mean, the fact that they're at the top of mock drafts indicates that, you know, scouts at least trust it to some degree. And obviously NBA teams, I've been doing their homework. So we've been going through this project for NBA.com, you know, writing up a lot of the the top prospects. Did anybody really catch your eye, you know, when you were going through and doing your research? Um, I will say Noah Clowney. Um, pretty interested by him. He, uh, I like, he's, he's, I think he'll be really good on defense. And, um, Man, I can't remember my write-up, but it's like he's got he's got kind of a shot. Like he's sort of a four now, but he can play some five. I just thought like the potential for him to be a starter relatively soon 
I don't know. I felt like his um, you know, a lot of, like a lot of these guys who like he's a defensive prospect, but he's he's smooth. It's a little bit like um, is it Jarris Walker out of Houston? Is that how you pronounce his first name? Um, like he there's so much like you need to he needs to have a better shot if but if the shot comes then these guys might look amazing and it's just like it's so easy to be intrigued by these guys who um they're great on defense they have great size they can play multiple positions they're not like stiffs on offense and it's like if they can shoot 35 percent from three and some catch and shoots like they they are going to have a huge impact in the nba and that's kind of how i felt um about uh about noah Clowney. Yeah, he's an interesting one. Um, you know, I think there's actually a more talent than I realized. I thought watching a lot of these guys were projected for like mid to late lottery. Uh, really, like Bryce Sensabaugh was like really jumping off the film. You know, obviously watched him in the Big Ten uh, a little bit at Ohio State. But I mean, I, I do feel like there's a lot of guys that are going to go in that like 15 to 20 range who would normally go in like the 8 to 14 range. So, you know, the Women Yama thing is, is kind of you know, I wouldn't say mischaracterized this draft, but there's been so much focus on him that you don't really think about the rest of the lottery. I, I came away really impressed with Taylor Hendricks for UCF. Okay. Uh, Got to be honest, didn't know a ton about him. Knew he was a big recruit who ended up at UCF. And, you know, in those situations, you always wonder, it's like, okay, why is he playing at this school? Like, you know, what's the competition level? I remember like Mitchell Robinson was one of those guys as well. Uh, but I mean, this dude, I mean, he looks like Jaron Jackson, like pretty like, uncanny uh, how much his game resembles Jaron Jackson. And is he going to be that kind of defender? Probably not, but he's a little bit shorter than Jackson, about two inches shorter, but still average like two blocks per game. The three-pointer looks really, really good. Um, you know, he's much better off the dribble than Jaron Jackson is. And like, I mean, Jackson shoots a great percentage from three for a big man, but like the shot looks terrible. I don't know how it goes in, but it, it works for him. Yes. Like Taylor Hendricks, Taylor Hendricks looks a, a lot more fluid. So uh, I, I think if, you know, if some team gets him at like 10 or 11, that could be a major bargain. Yeah, I mean, there's always that. That is one thing I like about, um, you know, like sometimes doing these sorts of projects where you have to kind of deep dive, provide your own like analysis. There, it's it's the off season. You're like, well, you know, it's <laughs> the season. Well, I'm, I'm really enjoying the NBA playoffs. Like, I'd like a little free time, and you end up having to do this. But in reality, like when you you get to watch these guys and like basically form your own opinion, um, I try to like not look at the scouting reports before. Like, I try to watch all the film and and do all that stuff before reading other people's reports. Um, and then kind of seeing what I agree and disagree with. And it is interesting to find guys that you might be higher yeah. or lower on, um, you know, and so that's, that's kind of how I ended up forming, uh, being even more confused about the Thompson twins than I was before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, to date, I just, I just seen, you know, the clips on Twitter. Um, but yeah, when you dive in, it's just like, I, I mean, obviously you see the upside, like no question about it athletically. And like, I mean, they're so smooth finishing, but you know, they're just not going up against anybody who looks like an NBA player. So it's really tough to say, but uh, we do have the combine going on right now. So we'll talk about that next mm -hmm. week. You know, some of the the measurements and whatnot, we got our, our man on the scene, Henry Weinberg out there in Chicago, yeah. checking things out. He's helping us out uh, with the NBA.com work. So uh, really happy for him that he got to go out there and um, I don't know, maybe we'll have to get him on the pod for, for a little segment next week for his mm -hmm. takeaways, but uh, either way, we'll, we'll continue our coverage of, of the combine and the draft. We're a little over a month out. Uh, we'll have a lot more draft coverage coming on Rotowire. And I mean, we're, we're not even that far from Summer League, dude. I mean, what what is that, like uh -huh. second week of July? I believe it is. Yeah, it starts shortly before we go to Vegas as a company. Uh, so yeah, I think I think it does start around then. All right, man, we'll wrap it up. Speaking of Vegas, I, I got to get out of here at 
like, like 4.30 in the morning tomorrow. Looking forward to that. I'm a, a famously bad sleeper on airplanes. So we're, we're going to be setting ourselves up for an interesting day. And if the Lakers lose tonight, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I might, I might just not sleep. 